So another root cause source I think is really diving into gut health. Like how well are you eating? How well are you absorbing, right? And then what is the level of leaky gut or gut permeability? Because when we've got gut permeability issues because of longstanding processed foods or antibiotic use, the list goes on and on, then we put our body at more risk for just exposure to autoimmune types of disorders because of the inflammation. Welcome to the Wild and Well Collective Podcast, where we believe empowered health is your superpower. We have combined our expertise in medicine and nutrition to bring you the latest research, expert insights, and success stories of people on a mission to live a big life. So buckle up and get ready to learn how to live wildly well. All right, so let's talk about something that I feel like affects a lot of mostly women, men and women really, but it's kind of an enigma and that's the thyroid. You know, so much of thyroid disease is misdiagnosed. People walk around not feeling great and they're said that their labs look normal, but really there's a lot more to thyroid and to thyroid lab work and thyroid support. So let's have a little chat about thyroid and how we test and how we treat and then signs and symptoms that you can look out for and really assess if maybe the thyroid is the issue. Yeah, I think this is a very underdone topic in terms of, especially when it comes to like metabolism and even reproductive health, gut health. You know, as we know, everything in the body is so interlinked and interconnected. And like you said, there's a lot of what I see as medical gaslighting in terms of the normal ranges will come back and you'll be told that you're totally fine. And your doctors or, you know, whoever you're seeing hasn't actually tested for the full amount of things that you need to test to get a, a real picture of what your thyroid health looks like. And, you know, I'm not sure about in the States, but I know in Australia and in New Zealand, our soils are so deficient in some of the key nutrients that we need to support our thyroid that we're seeing the pre like the prevalence of thyroid issues get more and more and more you know people are starting to get goiters and all that sort of thing when that used to be a thing of the past so that's something that i think is is really really important to start to notice and question yourself am i getting enough things like you know iodine zinc selenium in my day and we can dive into that a little bit more to make sure that i'm actually meeting the nutrient requirements to support my thyroid health Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's start with like some symptoms. So what are symptoms, you know, in my experience as a practitioner in a clinical setting and then with clients, what I do now working more with functional lab work, the symptoms that I see can be kind of broad, but oftentimes if you think sluggish thyroid, sluggish, everything, and then it can answer a lot of the questions. So when we think about sluggish, you're tired. We think about your cold. So your thermoregulation is a little off. Constipation, because your bowels just aren't moving well. Depression, so lower mood. All of those mm -hmm. are, I would say, the most common symptoms that I see in practice. What about you? Yeah, I think those, like, I often relate the low thyroid to being like a sloth right so if you just it's so easy for people to remember it's like that slow sluggish type thing you're talking about and that also is reflected in our metabolism right so the weight gain tends to be a huge byproduct of that the tiredness as well the fatigue is absolutely massive when it comes to having a slow thyroid and that can be misdiagnosed or misinterpreted with adrenal fatigue and so those are some of the key things the aches the pains the immune system being really low as well and so you get quite often chronic colds or flus and that sort of thing or even periods that go missing because your thyroid isn't doing what it's meant to do mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the thyroid is almost the kind of a, a master, you know, hormone, a master gland, I would say, mm-hmm. of a lot of things because we need that the active thyroid hormone in this in the cell to really make the engine run. And that kind of brings us to some of the testing because the most common tests are very high level and it's really frustrating to see that that is our standard that TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone and T4 are generally the only two labs that are drawn. So if you pull up your last set of like full set of labs that you got at your practitioner's office, those may or may not be included one or the other, maybe both, but that's still only a tiny piece to the puzzle. And that is really frustrating. I look at it now and I'm like, we can't really make a clear decision whether or not your thyroid is working well with just those two numbers. And to understand why you kind of have to, you know, very high level here, we'll say high, high above, like we will get into the nitty gritty details, but ultimately what it comes down to is your pituitary gland in your brain releases thyroid stimulating hormone, tells your thyroid to produce T4. And that's all that we're checking, but we're not looking, okay, how is T4 being converted into the active hormone? So do you want to share some of the labs that you check? Mm-hmm. What do you check and what do you include when you're really trying to dive deep into the thyroid and the function? Yeah, I like to test a full thyroid panel where possible. You know, we're looking at TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. We're looking at T3. We're looking at T4. So sometimes that's all that people will get done. If they're lucky, they'll get the T3, which like you say, is the active form. You also want to be testing that reverse T3. Then you want to be looking at thyroid antibodies. And so the problem is, you know, sometimes your thyroid stimulating hormone can come back fine. Your T3, your T4 can come back fine. But you may actually have an underlying autoimmune condition that's being not diagnosed because you're not testing your thyroid antibodies. And so taking a good look at that, and, you know, even if they come back completely normal, at least you ruled that out. You don't want to have something like an autoimmune condition lingering in the background, getting worse and worse and worse, and you having no idea that that's what's going on. Because once you develop an autoimmune condition, there's no going back. And, you know, and that's where it becomes really, really hard to, to live and manage things, right? Yeah, I think that we should all be looking for, there's two sets of antibodies that you can check for in the thyroid. And you could have high antibodies, meaning you have some level of an autoimmune disease going on with your thyroid long before you actually have damage to the thyroid gland resulting in lower thyroid hormone and non-blood labs. So it's so important to look at that. And if you have the antibodies to start to take other action to help decrease the, the overall damage. So definitely looking at TSH and T4 are important, but we want to know, yeah, is T4 converting to the active T3? Or is some of it, you know, how are the high levels of reverse T3? Because we'll always make something called reverse T3. But the problem with that is that it does take the same receptor site as the active T3. And reverse T3 is inactive. We tend to get more of that reverse T3 in higher stress states. So when someone has a high stress job, they've had a high stress life, sometimes I'll see really high reverse T3. And so that means that that active T3 really is not getting into the cell. So even though their TSH and T4 might look okay, the actual conversion, which we don't look at, which does not directly affect TSH, is not going to be highlighted in their lab work. So you could have, so, you know, quote unquote, normal thyroid labs by looking at those first two labs, but underneath it all, you've really got a cellular problem. What might someone be feeling, like just to give people some context? You know, I know we mentioned some of those symptoms, but if your reverse T3 was actually really high, or maybe you weren't produced, like you weren't converting enough of the T4 to the T3, 
I know we talked a little bit about if your thyroid was really sluggish, but there's also, you know, hyperthyroidism or, you know, symptoms that trend towards that. When do those sorts of things start to come in? Well, definitely with the low cellular, like if there's low T3, you'll have a lot of those, you know, classic symptoms of a lot of fatigue, really just feeling drained, maybe cold, the constipation, thing, lower immunity, maybe some infertility, yeah. all of that. Because cellular level, it's not happening. It's just not actively, you know, affecting the ovary appropriately, whatever, what name it, you name it, the thyroid hormone has to be in there. But you're right. I mean, then there can also be hyperthyroid where we'll see a lower TSH because that biofeedback is really telling the brain, hey, slow this down. But when we see hyperthyroid, that can also be a consequence of autoimmune dysfunction to the thyroid. And that's where you'll have a lot more anxiety symptoms. You'll have, hot, you know, very hot intolerant, jittery, insomnia, maybe weight loss, those kinds of things, like uncomfortable. It's pretty obvious when you've got that hyper where there's too much going on. It's just like everything in the body. We want Goldilocks, right? You don't want too much. You don't want too little. You're not right in the middle. Both are equally detrimental to your health. And you can have a lot of heart palpitations. Like everything's kind of sped up, right? Everything's kind of on fast forward and it doesn't feel comfortable. And so both of those can be, you know, looked at earlier in life looking at the antibodies. So when we talk about the antibodies, like let's say, you know, you just randomly check it at 30 and you've got antibodies, but you don't really have symptoms. So then what? What do you do for your clients when they have antibodies and may or may not have symptoms yet? Again, if like if they're not really presenting with a huge amount of symptoms, I mean, most times most people are. <laughs> I think it's very rare that you get a person that walks in to see you or, you know, gives you a call to see you and they haven't um, presenting with something. There's generally a reason they've come to you. They may not be presenting with thyroid-specific symptoms, and I think that's where we start to dig a little bit deeper. So, you know, they may be presenting, like you mentioned, with infertility. Periods may be AWOL. They may be having gut issues, digestive issues. Like there's literally a receptor site on every single cell in the body that's linked to the thyroid. So we need to make sure that we're supporting our thyroid health. And so if someone comes back with those high levels of antibodies, the first thing I focus on is are they actually getting enough of the key nutrients in their diet to support their thyroid function? Like we don't need to go down the path of medication. We don't need to go down the path of drastic change in their diet or in their lifestyle. It's like, let's just get the basics right and see if we can get things regulated first. So like I mentioned earlier, in New Zealand especially, like we don't have enough iodine or selenium in our soils. And we've gone and we really moved away from, as a culture, you know, using iodized table salt, which used to meet our iodine requirements on a day-to-day -day basis. And everyone's moved to pink Himalayan rock salt, right? Which does provide other nutrients, other minerals, but it doesn't have the iodine component. Now the iodine that's used in table salt also isn't the best form of iodine. So you're kind of at an impasse there. And so what I'll often recommend is that you should shift to something like kelp salt or, you know, that real salt, which contains natural levels of iodine that you're going to need to meet your daily requirements. Things like selenium, super easy to get in your diet, just with two Brazil nuts a day from a high quality source of Brazil. Brazil, that's like where they're actually made in Peru or Brazil. One of the other things is zinc, right? Unless you're eating like a bucket of oysters a day, most people are actually getting enough zinc to support their thyroid. And so that is often where I'll get people to be on supplementation so that they can meet those levels, especially if we're seeing results like antibodies being present. The final one is iron. And this is what I see with so many women. And I know you want to touch on this a little bit with like anemia and that side of things. 
if your iron levels are too low, your thyroid function is dramatically impaired. And that, again, is that link with our period health. And all of it is so deeply tied together. And so if you're not, you know, we think about the amount of people that are vegan or vegetarian now, they're not supplementing or not getting enough of that iron in their diet to even meet that level. I mean, a lot of women who eat it, you know, eat meat and that don't even reach enough in terms of getting hitting their iron requirements. So we really need to make sure that we're getting those key nutrients to support thyroid function before we look anywhere else. Yes. I love the idea of, I just love that you touched on a lot of the root causes because so quickly we jump to, oh my gosh, you need to be on Synthroid. Let's say your T4 is low or your TSH is a little high, which by the way, normal isn't optimal. So even then, a lot of times doctors will wait until the TSH is way higher than I would ever imagine needing medication or intervention, right? So, but again, oftentimes it'll just be, let's just jump to Synthroid. Let's just jump to a medication to help give you more T4. But it doesn't matter if your body is unable to convert T4 to T3 because you have to have iron to convert. You've got to have zinc and selenium and you've got to have, what was the last one that you mentioned? The, the iodine. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us do have iodine in our salts still here in the U.S. I think a lot of us do have have that. But but again, the minerals. And even beyond that, we're talking about gut health, right? So okay. if, you, if you have poor gut health, then you're not really absorbing the nutrients to begin with. So another root cause source, I think, is really diving into gut health. Like how well are you eating? How well are you absorbing, right? And then what is the level of leaky gut or gut permeability? Because when we've got gut permeability issues because of longstanding processed foods or antibiotic use, the list goes on and on, then we put our body at more risk for just exposure to autoimmune types of disorders because of the inflammation, right? So, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the, the... conversion T4 to T3 happens in the liver and it happens in the gut. Mm -hmm. So when we are overwhelmed with chronic alcohol use or processed foods, dysregulated hormones, all of that can really affect the thyroid. So it is all very interconnected, right? Some of the lab work that I like to look at is just like we mentioned before, extensive thyroid, but then also anemia. So we really, it's important to look at iron studies. The other testing that is kind of a red flag for me that could be related to thyroid is when I see like higher LDL levels or higher triglycerides. Those can be for other reasons, but oftentimes when someone has hypothyroid, they're also not breaking down the cholesterols as well and as easily. And so I will see higher fats, higher fat numbers, higher cholesterol, LDL, triglycerides in patients with low thyroid. So that's another red flag of something that I look at to further investigate what could be going on with the thyroid. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about is lower detox. So with, like I said, sluggish thyroid, sluggish everything, detoxification pathways can also struggle. So that means we could have more hangovers when we drink alcohol. That can mean more brain fog, just day-to-day living. And that can also mean estrogen dominance or an inability to really effectively detoxify estrogen every month for women. Any thoughts on that? Because, you know, like it is, it's all interconnected, right? So when we're kind of breaking apart why someone has low energy or 
why they have brain fog or why their menstrual cycles are a mess, thyroid can really be at play. Yeah, like you said, everything is so interconnected. And so if you think about the thyroid being sluggish, you wind up with constipation. That then, like like you say, impacts the ability for your body to clear estrogen. We look at something called the estrobolum, if that's how you say it properly, right? Where that's the relationship between the gut and your estrogen clearance. And so if you've got, you know, I always use this analogy, like you imagine the large intestine as like a road, you know, a nice windy road. And you imagine your stool is like this bus on the road. And so the bus is traveling along this windy road and inside the bus inside the stool, it's carrying a whole lot of passengers, or in other words, your toxins, right? If you've got a sluggish, a slow thyroid that's then causing constipation, what happens? That bus stops, or that bus slows right down. If the bus is stopped or slowed right down, the passengers can get off the bus. The passengers can go for a walkabout. So they leave the large intestine, they can go through the bloodstream, sorry, seep back through the intestinal walls, go back into the bloodstream, and then you're loading up your liver again with the same toxins that are trying to be removed and trying to be excreted. So the liver's now impacted and then it's trying to send them back to the gut to be eliminated, but the thyroid's still too sluggish and we're not getting the right nutrients. So it creates like this vicious cycle and women wonder why they can't shift weight, right? They can't get their metabolism to where they want it to be. They can't, they, you know, they used to be able to shift weight real easily in their early twenties and all of a sudden they're getting into their perimenopausal years or even, you know, at my age, like leading into your thirties, you're going, oh, wow, this is a lot harder than it used to be. And it may actually be that you're not getting enough nutrients. You're not putting the right things into your body to get the thyroid optimized, which is then having this knock-on effect on the body and this ability to detoxify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's always about the foundations, right? So before you pop on medication, which in some cases is needed, I know that my mom, for instance, she had Hashimoto's for years, didn't know, was undiagnosed. And then once there's been damage into the thyroid, a lot of times you know, patients may need, you may need, or you may need some T4 support. Mm. If you're having issues, sometimes you'll be put on T3 as well, which is the active yeah. thyroid. Yeah. That one's a bit more finicky and really touchy. So you got to be working with somebody who really knows what they're doing because that is an active thyroid. You know, you don't want to be bumping into that hyperthyroid state on the cellular level because that's also equally uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, it, you know, catastrophic as far as your heart health and things like that. But it really does come down to the conversion of all of it and and really supporting the foundations before we jump to the medication. So for somebody who just has these symptoms, where do you start with your clients as far as like thyroid help? I mean, for me, I like to have data. I like a data nerd. So for me, I like to look at lab work first and really see like what is needed. And then from there, I mean, I do have, in my experience, I have clients who sometimes I'll put on a Synthroid while we're doing some of this groundwork so that they, because, you know, maybe the TSH is sky high, five or six, mm-hmm. pretty high. And so in that case, I have had to put them on Synthroid medication while we're doing some of this foundational work to heal that and then slowly taper it down. I wanted to mention too, one other lab that can sometimes be missed and that's prolactin. Mm-hmm. So Prolactin is also another hormone. We mostly associate that one with breastfeeding, lactation, but sometimes we can have tumors on the pituitary that really push out a lot of prolactin and prolactin, high prolactin can suppress thyroid hormone. So that's another one that you want to look at as a source, because I, I know in the past I've had a client who had really high TSH numbers and it wasn't primarily a thyroid issue. It was primarily, yeah, a pituitary issue with prolactin. 
And so you have to you have to figure out the source of the problem. Like what is foundationally going on? Why do these numbers look the way that they do? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one. You know, that's the biggest thing I focus on and you, know, you focus on is like that root cause. Can we understand why this is happening? Why the thyroid is act- overactive or underactive? And so I guess my approach is obviously very different depending on what's triggering that, whether it is an anemic state, whether it is the fact that they're just simply not getting enough of the key nu- micronutrients they need to get their thyroid functioning. Is it actually a gluten intolerance? You know, there's a massive link between not just celiac disease and developing you know, Hashimoto's or Graves, but, you know, the autoimmune versions of thyroid issues, but even just the gluten itself and the impact that gluten has on the thyroid, you know, sometimes if we've got an undiagnosed intolerance or we've developed an intolerance, or even the fact that gluten itself is very inflammatory can cause a whole host of issues to the thyroid. So sometimes it's as simple as starting there and taking out or trialing for the person. Okay, let's take out some gluten, see how you feel. Let's see if we can get the thyroid to regulate itself a little bit better just with simple dietary changes too. Yeah, gluten is probably one of the biggest things. And, I, you know, it, it's easier than ever now, I think, in the world to be gluten-free, but mm-hmm. it's also great. It's still, a, it's a shift in lifestyle for sure. I definitely acknowledge that. But gluten does have a lot of mimicry and it tends to really inflame the autoimmune response, particularly with the thyroid. Yeah. And I would say if if anyone has been diagnosed with an autoimmune Hashimoto's to the thyroid, gluten's got to go because that's really going to aggravate it. And it's kind of not even one of those things that you can kind of 80, 20 it. Like you really need to go hundred percent if you are dedicated to really healing with thyroid mm-hmm. or prevent further damage, right? Because those antibodies, that's really what's driving that lower thyroid. So yeah, as far as lifestyle goes, definitely the gluten and then regulating stress, right? So nervous system regulation, because that stress can really upregulate the conversion of that active T3 hormone to reverse T3, which takes the receptor side, but doesn't offer the same potent value of T3, right? So now we've got this receptor site filled with kind of a, yeah, a, a dummy, a dummy T3, the reverse T3. And that's primarily driven by stress. So what are some things that you recommend for really controlling the nervous system and the stress response? It's so basic. And I feel like I'm a broken record with this one, but your breathing, everything comes back to breath. You know, we know so much more now, you know, back even five, 10 years ago when I was first getting into learning all about this and the nervous system, that sort of thing. It was all about diaphragmatic breathing and that was really the pathway we were going down to know that that was how you change from a sympathetic you know that fight or flight nervous system state to your parasympathetic but now we know there's so much more nervous system regulation you can do through breath you know we've got the wim hof techniques you've got the holotrophic breath work you've got so many different forms of breath but that's not to diminish the actual magnificent effect it can have on regulating a nervous system so if I even have clients who will set little reminders, not alarms, because they will set your nervous system off in itself, right? So you've got to be mindful of all these little things, but how little reminders that, that pop up on their phone during the day, just as a little notification, the next time they turn their phone over to stop and do five to six deep diaphragmatic breath, or maybe they start their day with 10 minutes of breath work, or, you know, we have talked about some of the other things that support nervous system regulation in terms of protocol therapy. You know, those are some of the the more biohacking techniques that you can get into. But I do know that if you can literally come back to your breath, 
breathing in and out through your nose and reminding your body that it's safe. Even just having that as a bit of a mantra, like looking around, feeling the presence of the walls around you, your feet on the ground, doing even, you know, if you're into the more of the spiritual side of things, you could be doing root chakra meditations. Like again, coming back to that grounding energy, going and putting your feet in the grass. All of that can really just super, super basic, but can bring you back to being. Like again, if you think about relaxing or the nervous system relaxing, I look think of it as like a big sigh. Like, okay, I feel better now. Yeah, you. Yes, I agree. I think the most I love talking about breath work because we all have it. It's free, <laughs> and just learning how to harness the power of that can be so life changing. Because a lot of times we've talked about this before. We can't change the stress sometimes in our environment. By all means, if you can, I would really take a good look at uh, relationships that are causing you stress or work-life balance, all of those things. But in the event that we can't really change that, we change our perception. And changing the perception is really, it. the breath is powerful in doing that. And so I think, you know, meditation is one as well, but that can be kind of intimidating for some people. But I think even going out for 10 minutes and just focusing on the breathing in and out, like that's meditation. That is meditation right there. And one thing that I have found helpful in my own life is just reminding myself throughout the day, you're safe. Even saying those words to myself, you're safe. You're safe driving. You're safe, you know, because we just tend to have that flight or fight, that fear on some level. And so when you feel your body kind of tensing up, but making it a practice of regulating the nervous system is really going to help overall health, really going to help when you're trying to heal your thyroid. Mm -hmm. managing stress is going to be a key component of that, of getting back to that healing. And also acknowledging that it doesn't happen overnight. You didn't most likely get here overnight with these symptoms. And so it takes some time, but being committed to better nutrition, being committed to healing your gut health, being committed to regulating your nervous system, giving your body the nutrients it needs, it happens over time. Like our body's amazing how it can heal, right? But it does start with getting a lot like information and working with a practitioner who understands the thyroid, who understands the foundations, because otherwise, I mean, what hurts my heart to the core is to have someone just being given T4, Synthroid, not knowing that they really have some antibodies at play behind the scenes, slowly destroying the thyroid gland, right? Making this worse. Or they've been given T4 and they really have no way of converting it. There's something else going on, right? So they they're still don't feel great. And they're wondering, why the heck? Like, I guess I've just broken. I guess I'm just unfixable when it's just not the case. We just need to get to the root cause of it and really help support the body to get to the, the powerful T3, right? And into the cells. So Yeah. And I think, you know, what you were saying is that misdiagnosis or even undiagnosis, the amount of women I've had come to me and even, you know, we both work with functional medicine ranges versus the traditional medicine scope. And, you know, I'm not here to diagnose, but we can look at those ranges and actually see the difference. You know, you've got typical ranges, which are typical from, you know, range from like 0.4, if we're looking just at TSH alone, all the way up to five. That is huge, huge scope. And it's not till you reach that five that you're quite often getting attention or the medication handed to you going, okay, now we know what's wrong. Here you go. Okay. What about all the changes that were going on prior to that? Like, where was the attention when you were jumping from, you know, two to three? 
or two to 2.5, you know, when we look at functional medicine ranges, they're very, very tightly regulated. We're, you know, talking, some suggest 0.5 to two. I've spoken to other practitioners and even gone, have even gone even more refined between one and two. So you can get very, very specific and very, very narrow ranges and anything outside of that, not necessarily a diagnosis, but you're outside of optimal health. And so, you know, if you're someone that's sitting here going, oh, that makes so much more sense as to why my labs came back normal when they're really not, it's because you're not being told the ranges to look for that are actually, you know, going to bring an indication of what's deeper than going on rather than waiting till, okay, we can give you a pill. Yeah. Me personally, I don't like to see anyone over 2.5 because to me, the brain should not be setting up alarms that high. We should have, we should have adequate T4 and definitely the conversion. So yeah, you know, it's, I hope that this conversation is helpful if you're walking around feeling like I don't feel great, even though <laughs> they said my rage is normal. There's definitely hope for you. Like there's definitely more investigation that, that can be done to look at this and to look at more of a full picture of that. So anything else that you want to add to it? I feel like we've kind of encompassed a lot of things. I know we didn't touch a lot on Graves. Graves is definitely, which is hyper, definitely less common you know, low thyroid is very common because of the mineral deficiencies, because of the, the gut issues and things like that. But certainly I have had patients with Graves as well, mm-hmm. and that's less common and typically does require medicine intervention because we really do need to calm that down. Like we've got to do some medicine intervention when it comes to Graves, but it's just as important to be doing those foundational things at the same time. Like we've got to heal the gut. We've got to figure out what, you know, the autoimmune component to Graves needs to be dealt with as well. And I think in the conventional system, it's just, let's take the thyroid out. Let's suppress it till no end, you know, if they don't take it out. And that doesn't have to happen that way, right? We can use medications to calm it down as we're decreasing antibodies to the thyroid in hopes to keep the thyroid. We want to try to keep every body part if possible. <laughs> so reason are you there? <laughs> yeah, because once that thyroid's removed, now you're regulating it completely synthetically. And that can be kind of a challenge for some people. Mm. So healing the body, the whole system is really, really key. And I'm all for combining traditional medications and while doing the foundations with grace when possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like you said perfectly, it's just coming back to that foundations. And if medication is needed to help support you in the meantime, or, you know, for some, it is, it is something they have to stay on for life if there's been enough damage done or their thyroid's been removed or, you know, that sort of thing has gone on. So if, you know, if you're sitting here going, shoot, I'm feeling like I fit the bill for some of these symptoms. You know, don't be freaked out. Don't be worried. It's work with a practitioner. Go and get your labs done. You know, if you need to self-request them and then work with someone who will look at them from a functional perspective, do that. Like you, as especially I know as women, it can be very, very hard because we're told so much so often. It's in, just in our head and just to eat less and move more. And it's not a, it's nothing more in terms of your metabolic function. Like just keep going. And so sometimes we do have to take the power back into our own hands and we do have to go and get this work done elsewhere. So, you know, if this is the reminder you need to take that shift and to really look a little bit deeper, then hopefully now you know what to go and ask for, uh, what you can self-request for, and then find someone that can help support you in that. And because it's not something like we've discussed that you just want to leave and let spiral because that's autoimmunity can kick in and, and then you've got a real, real problem on your hands. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we briefly touched on depression and or anxiety, right? So again, getting thorough labs, even when it comes to mood changes, can be really, really helpful. And so what we'll do is put in the show notes the just the extensive list of what we would recommend as far as like really checking into your thyroid. And so 
you know, if you're seeing a practitioner who does not check this level, then find somebody who does so that you can really get a full picture of what's going on in your thyroid. And hopefully you found this helpful. Hopefully this information helps you feel not alone because you're definitely not. It's it's a big topic, big thing. And getting to the root and understanding your power and, and being empowered in taking back your health is, is you know, where we're going with this. So we'll definitely put the list in, in the show notes. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that's good. And if you have any questions, you know, our DMs are always open. If you want us to go deeper into this, we're more than happy to as well. I just wanted to give you a little bit of an intro to the thyroid and understand another aspect that could be could be going like, you know, underlying in your body. Another thing to consider when it comes to menstrual health, when it comes to gut health, when it comes to overall health. So yeah, our bodies are magnificent things and we just need to make sure that we're getting them all, all supported and functioning effectively. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Hopefully you guys found this helpful and we'll see you next time. If you love this episode, be sure to leave us a review, download and subscribe. If you know someone that could also benefit from this conversation, please share. That's how we spread empowered health. We'll see you again for another episode of the Wild and Wild Collective.